Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Big one today. Big, 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 big one today. Why is it a big one on the pod blog? Blog pod? Pod blog. Man, that's hard to say, especially for a dyslexic guy. Anyway, hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I have been sitting on this idea that bankruptcy was a terrifying, terrifying thing that I had to avoid at all costs. And in doing so, I built this wall around the idea, this this fear around the idea, this thought process around the idea, this patterning around the idea of the label of bankruptcy, not even really understanding it. And you know, positively and negatively, that affected me for a long time. And so I had a company during the pandemic that hit a pretty rough patch. And I'll explain it in this this blog, but I I say it ahead of time because this wasn't easy to write and it wasn't easy to say because I was embarrassed about it. That's really the point I'm making is I was really embarrassed about this idea of massive failure and bankruptcy, especially in a culture where we pedestal our success on social media. We are seemingly judged by our success, spotlighted in this idea that everyone is looking at what we're doing positively or negatively and making judgments, which is just horseshit. But I didn't know that. So what I'm about to read you is very personal to me. And since putting it out, it's it's been one of my better performing blogs that, that people have reached out and, and personally said, hey, thank you. You know, it really hit home. So I hope it hits home, it hits home for you. All right. Without further ado, on understanding and dealing with massive failure and bankruptcy. This is a blog about contending with failure. First, a story about dragons. For all my many misgivings as a father, I'm satisfied with one thing I do consistently well. Read a bedtime story to my children almost every night. I suspect one of the reasons I do this is because I often find the simple metaphorical wisdom in children's stories surprisingly helpful in providing some levity to my own adult problems. A book by Jack Kent called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon is one such story. In the book, a boy wakes up to find a small dragon on the edge of his bed. With the innocence and honesty of a child, he tries to tell his parents that there is a dragon in the house, to which his always busy and preoccupied parents respond, there is no such thing as a dragon. As the story progresses and the boy's attempts to inform his parents about the dragon remain in vain, causing the boy to ignore the dragon himself. Eventually, the dragon takes up the entire house, lifts it up, and moves it down the block. It's only then that Billy's parents notice the very big dragon, which is the exact magic required to reverse the spell and bring the dragon back to a more manageable size, in this case, the size of a kitten. 
The metaphor is, by ignoring our problems, they become so large and detrimental that eventually they can no longer be ignored. In an essay titled The Psychology of Invisible Monsters, Elizabeth Knox explains this well. The things, she says, the invisible monster represents are things we don't want to acknowledge, like our fear, like our paltry measures to make ourselves safe. We've made our monsters invisible. She continues, with an invisible monster, you don't know when you're in danger and when you're safe. Even if you retreat to your fortress, you can't be sure you haven't locked the monster inside with you. One of my own invisible monsters was the fear of having one of my companies fail. To be clear, I don't mean failure to launch. I mean the failure of having actually made a go of it for many years and then watch it crash and burn into what is otherwise referred to as going under, aka bankruptcy. Bankruptcy to me was akin to the word Voldemort. I would cringe at the sound or even thought of it. As a lifelong entrepreneur, I knew it existed, but would give it no credence. It only existed at something that could happen to someone else. The ultimate sign of weakness, unwillingness, and incompetence of an entrepreneur. That was until it happened to my business, Cosan Travel. In my business career, I've always flown close to the sun. My friends call it redlining, which just means I operate and live with a great amount of risk in the spirit of chasing opportunities. Nothing risked, nothing gained. Fortune favors the bold. You know, that type of mentality. At this point in my career, I can't even count the number of times I've pulled through with much needed capital for a business in the 11th hour of an otherwise total collapse. It would excuse me, I would not ever let a business fail. Of course, that is the proper attitude for a founder and CEO. You are responsible for your shareholders' money. It is your fiduciary responsibility to deliver the absolute best results you can, something that should never be taken lightly. This is honorable. I realized, however, that the dark side of honor is egoic pride, and a fine line exists between the two. After nearly 24 months of fighting tooth and nail to keep one of my businesses alive during the pandemic, an effort that financially and mentally costed me dearly, I realized I wasn't just acting honorably for my shareholders. I was also acting out of fear that if this business went under, I'd be personally embarrassed. My cherished reputation would be tarnished and I'd be greatly challenged to recover and start another business ever again. I can still feel my nervous inner chills in those final weeks and days when the bank said, no more, we're seizing the accounts. Sometimes I'd even feel the nausea and vertigo from standing on the edge of the peruvial cliff. Other times, I couldn't breathe under the protruding weight I felt on my shoulders and chest. At night, my heart raced at such a pace that I felt like I was running a race and I'd wake up in a cold sweat. I could never shake the visions of catastrophic cinematic endings where it all erupts in my face and I'm blown into smithereens playing repeatedly in my mind. Clearly, I've watched too much TV. Once it happened, it was, in a way, anticlimactic. In fact, the bankers were incredibly sympathetic. They said this happens all the time and offered their services and guidance. They even offered their time and attention to just listen 
on a few occasions. Most shareholders who are professional investors and able to rationalize risk award understood the quite literal bad luck of a once in a lifetime pandemic on my business. There certainly was no public spotlight highlighting my incompetence. Frankly, most people didn't care because they had better things to do. And my business colleagues simply responded to the news with, okay, what are you doing next? Through the past 15 years, I turned the failure of a business into a large dragon. And once it happened, much like in the story, the dragon became kitten-sized again. Let's be clear, it wasn't fun. And it's not something I want to go through ever again. However, I now know I can. Not to mention, I learned a tremendous amount about the process of insolvency and the many opportunities to restructure therein. In fact, in Canada, we don't have the infamous Chapter 11 form of bankruptcy they have in America. Here we have what's called insolvency. It's a purgatory of sorts, a place to go for the sins of your entrepreneurial ineptitude, but where the company's soul can still be redeemed by the almighty gods of capitalism. As such, for the sake of complete clarity, this purgatory is where my business finds itself today. Although it's been almost a year since the bank took possession, I'm still want working on a solution to reclaim it. These are very, very slow processes and challenging to operate within, making a divine resurrection possible, not probable. With that said, I'd like to digress back to the realities of business failure, as well as the mental side of experiencing it. In Brad Pitt's acceptance speech at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, he said, I've been banging away at this for 30 years. I think the simple math is some projects work and some don't. There's no reason to belabor either. Just get on to the next. One of the reasons some things work and others do not has to do with the reality of luck playing into the outcomes. In his best-selling book, The Psychology of Money, Morgan Housel talks about how luck and risk are siblings. Luck and risk are both the reality that every outcome in life is guided by forces other than individual effort. You are one person in a game with 7 billion other people and infinite moving parts. This is counterintuitive to both the power and the ego of will and my tendency to think I can control a business's fate, if not through smarts, then through willpower alone. One of the problems with that is that when things don't work, I place the blame squarely on myself. I beat myself up by overthinking the bad decisions that certainly must have caused the bad outcomes. In his book, Housel also cites the story of Bill Gates and one of his original partners, Kent Evans. As a teenager, both had the tremendous good luck of a one in a million chance of having early access to a computer. Sadly, Kent Evans had the tragic bad luck of a one in a million chance of dying in a mountaineering accident, an extreme example that luck cuts both ways. According to Nobel Prize winning economist Robert Schiller, we can't know the exact role of luck in successful outcomes. This is why Gates points out success is a lousy teacher. And inversely, so is failure. Because as Housel concludes, it reduces thinking that decisions are terrible or good when sometimes they just reflect the unforgiving realities of risk. 
According to Forbes magazine, about half of all small businesses fail within five years, and only about a third of the survivors make it long-term after that. To drive this perspective home and to make myself feel even better in the process, According to data released by banking behemoth J.P. Morgan Asset Management, since 1980, 40% of public companies in the Russell 3000 index lost 70% of their value and never made it back. In business and investing, and again, according to Housel, a lot of things work this way. It's not always the meat and potatoes of a business that drives the big success. Contrarily, as Housel explains in The Psychology of Money, it's the long tail. The farthest ends of a distribution of outcomes have a tremendous influence where a small number of events can account for the majority of outcomes. He cites Snow White and the Seven Dwarves being the game-changing tale for a struggling Disney, the iPhone for Apple, and Amazon Web Services for retail giant Amazon. And for every tale, there is massive failure. One example that comes to mind is the incineration of investor capital that was the Amazon Fire Phone. Bezos did not apologize for this wildly expensive failure and, in fact, doubled down, saying there would be more to come in the spirit of creating massive wins. This is why great CEOs continue to take risks, creating and acquiring new verticals in their businesses. And this is why my colleagues simply pulled me out of the ashes of my burnt down business and said, what's next? Eventually something will work and it will work very well. Of course, it would be wonderful for that to happen, but to focus on that outlier success alone would grossly miss the greater lesson in failure. Distress is how we learn to handle the world. And as I recently heard a friend say, angst is the price of admission. Healthy stress and struggle are not to be avoided at any cost. This is my biggest qualm with the mental health awareness movement. My view is that for all the good, the awareness of our mental crisis in society addresses, it sends the wrong message overall that good mental health is equated to total happiness, relaxation, no triggers, and bliss. Nothing could be further from the truth. Good mental health is the ability to understand and be able to accept that life is hard, that we will experience a spectrum of emotions, and that we can exist in that balance. Furthermore, by facing stresses and fears head on, we free ourselves from them because we learn to handle them. This brings us back to our metaphor about invisible monsters. They become bigger when we don't acknowledge them. And unfortunately, our societies, and I cannot stress this enough, have turned safety into a profitable business that is sold back to us on the daily. Ultimately, the idea that we can't handle stress and obstacles is a limiting belief that sabotages our personal growth and potential. As human beings on planet Earth, we will constantly be defeated by them. Then we will learn, grow, take on new challenges and be defeated again. Like the seasons, this cycle of personal growth is a natural part of the human experience over the course of a lifetime. The question is, Will we heed the lesson or wallow in the defeat? From my experience, two things are clear. There is a human tendency, a primal 
disposition even to create large metaphorical dragons for future failures where there are either none at all or they're very small. And once we experience them devoid of personal ego, there is a simple process of defeating them and growing, acknowledging the problem, knowing when to call it quits, and leaving good enough alone, experiencing the associated emotions of rage, pain, sadness, regret, and even guilt, and then moving on. The journey down the Yellowbrick Road is one of many small trips with many destinations where the long tales of success are unexpected and luck and risk are equal travel companions. No one thing will define your success or failure unless you let it. Ultimately, you only control your effort and response to the events of your life. And when you travel down the yellow brick road, as podcaster Rich Rolls once said, it only unfolds two bricks at a time. You have to choose to keep going. Well, it's even cathartic to read that. You know, I think I'm, when did I publish this originally? May 10th. I'm recording this the end of August. So, you know, three-ish months. I probably spent a few months writing it and a few months before that thinking about writing it. And, you know, it's true. It is true. And as much as I hate what happened to Kosan, and as much as I still am trying to solve for that, and I'm, I'm waiting on the banks to, I guess, give me their verdict, if you will, as to whether or not the assets of the company will come back to me and I can I can restart it again, or at least attempt to restart it again. There's, there'll still be some baggage I have to work through. I'm very grateful that I went through this experience and got the monkey off my back, you know, turn the dragon, as I said, back into a, a little kitten-sized dragon. And I have to say, you know, one of the reasons I think this blog resonates with people is because so many entrepreneurs, they fly so close, close to the sun all the time and it's in their businesses feel like life and death, you know, feast or famine. And so many people I know, they always feel so stressed out about these little things, right? The expression turning a mountain into a, a molehill into a mountain, you know, and, and the perspective is the same, whether you're talking about the bankruptcy of a business, you know, the failure to win a race or win a championship or, or something little like, you know, your fucking in-laws are coming over for holiday and it's stressing you out. The idea is the same is the monster that we create, the invisible monster that we create that we never know where it is and we can invite it into like our room and there's nowhere of hiding from it is just that. It's, 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 it's an invisible, fictitious monster that doesn't exist. And when we just call a spade a spade, when we act in fact, those fears dissipate. They don't necessarily go all the way away, but they dissipate. And when we can come to terms with the worst case scenarios, and when we can understand that we as much as we think in our sentience as human beings and our prowess as human beings, that we control everything. We control shit. We control jack shit, except for our response to the things. That's what we get to control. And that's why I don't like to outsource You know, my, or I, I put it this way, I don't like to play the victim. I don't mind being vulnerable. Of course, that's a powerful thing, but I don't want to play the victim because it just feeds the dragon. 
it feeds the fear to play the victim. It, it makes us helpless. It makes us say that someone else or something else has to solve our problems or that the problem has to be solved at all. And during this process, I was quite depressed, quite anxious. And I, I read a book, Anthony DeMello's Awareness. And he said, you know, you are not depressed. You are not anxious. Depression is there. It is present, but it is not you. You are not anxious. Anxiety is there. It is not you. And that separation was so helpful in not letting it consume me. I think I wrote a blog about that at one point. <laughs> anyway, I encourage you if there's something in your life that you are making dragon-sized, you have turned into this large, invisible monster. Let it go. Face it. Process it. But don't let it be this big thing because it's not. And it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. And that's another thing I've learned, even in the short time since writing this. And something I've learned before is just, this stuff is just material. It's bullshit. The success, the billions of dollars that we want to make, the success of our business, the magazine covers we want to be on, the social media followers, it's all bullshit. What matters is our health. What matters is the health and happiness of our children. What matters is our ability to be present in our lives. And that isn't to say we don't pursue things. Of course not. But it's to say that we pursue them knowing full well that they're just bullshit. They're fleeting. They will pass. You know, trophies that we win will end up in dumpsters. Businesses that we sweat and bled for, you know, will times will change. They'll disappear. They won't matter as much. And, and this weight that we put on things and thus put on ourselves, the stakes that we, we give things, this all or nothing stake, stakes game that we play does nothing but hurt us. It doesn't even allow us to engage in the enjoyment of the pursuit in the enjoyment of the lessons that we're learning. And so I've really shifted away from that. And that's what this experience has, has taught me. And I, and, I, and I hope if that is relevant to you, I hope that it can be that for you as well. Thanks for reading, or I should say listening. <laughs> be well, my friends. Be well. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. You know, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and you know, all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace.